Today we're talking about, the title is, Make Love the Measure of Maturity. Make Love the Measure of Maturity. Uh, spiritual maturity, I missed that part in my notes. Hopefully that doesn't change it too much. No, it won't, it's, it won't. it's fine. Uh, this, is, this is an intimidating topic because, well, it's actually always intimidating to be up here and, and share my opinions or my perspective or what I think I understand. Because there's probably like three or four very niche areas in the world where I have more information than anybody else in the room. Like probably the Arizona Cardinals. I bet I hold the most information in that regard. Anybody want to challenge me on that? No? We can talk after if you think you do. Um, probably my wife and kids because I don't think Brittany's parents are in the room today, this morning. So yeah, I'll take that one as well. Uh, but after that, like... It's a cliff. Like, there's somebody in the room who, who probably understands even this topic. Actually, I was looking at you, Gary, and I was like, man, I don't have to look far. I don't have to look past the front row to find somebody who probably has a better grip on this than I do. You're an incredible lover of people. And as I unpack this, uh, if you guys are like, man, I want to be more like Stephen because he's the one talking. Don't want to be more like Jesus, but then if that's too far away, be more like Gary. Um, <laughs> Small steps, small steps, week by week, we're getting through this, so, um, yeah, love, lo just the fact that the word love is in this title makes it a really difficult conversation to, to get across, because there are probably 7.754 billion definitions of love, that's the population, if you caught on, if you didn't, I explained it, um, Everybody, when I say the word, uh, or when I say the title, make love the measure of spiritual maturity, everybody probably goes to a different connotation. I was actually talking with someone earlier this week. There could be, so I'm 30, I have a wife and two kids, my wife's Kiwi. There could be an Italian youth pastor who's 30 years old, who married a Kiwi, who has two daughters, just like me, and our definitions of love would be different. Because he has a different cultural context, he has a different background. Uh, me and my friend were joking that his version of love is probably just similar but more carbs than mine. <laughs> he probably feels more loved whenever mom makes him his favorite carb-loaded Italian meal. Um, but but 7.754 7 billion people in the world, all with different definitions of love, all with different ways of receiving love. There's like five spiritual love language, or sorry, five love languages. And even the way that those interact with each other and the way that they interact with the world, it's just different. So we've got this massive topic, make love the measure of spiritual maturity. It's so big. So I just thought that it was probably important that we all get on the same page before I dive into this too far, that we're not talking about defining the word love. What we're actually talking about is that second part, uh, spiritual maturity, and it's in relationship and communication because the book is Spiritual Healthy Discipleship, not Spiritual Healthy Ways to Live Every Part of Every Second of Every Part of Every Day of Your Life right? Are you with me? Like, this is the context that we're talking about. It's not, I'm not up here to define the word love, and I'm not up here to, like, give you guys a greater understanding of, of that entirety. Does that make sense? Big topic. One small part of it that we're talking about today is relationship, discipleship, uh, love. Cool? Same page, mostly? Some of you. Great. I hope that this works for some of you. The rest of you can talk about it in your groups, which, if you're not in the spiritually healthy discipleship groups, Highly, highly recommend it. Just talking about this stuff, right? Like expressing your opinions, just getting it out there, just laying it on the table and having somebody else's perspective and opening up. 
Highly recommend it. Anyways, anyways, anyways. Um, so we're going to start and end with John chapter 13, verse 34 and 35. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples. He says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. If you love one another. All right, that's easy enough. Uh, something that I think a lot of Christians get hung up on is that it's, it is this big call, right? But Jesus kind of like narrows it down to the people that are in your immediate vicinity. So 7.754 billion people in the world. Did you know that if you were like supernatural, amazing, if you were on the same level as Jesus at interacting with people and like changing lives, and you wanted to spend one second with everybody alive on the earth today, if we like somehow organize people to like fly into New Zealand and come through this building, you don't even have to move. We can get you a really comfy chair. You can just sit there and have like one second of interaction with everybody in the world that file in that door, file out that door. We have this awesome system going on. You get one second with every single person in the world. It'd take you 245 years from this point right now. One second with every person. 245 years later, each person had one second of discipleship. Probably not enough. I mean, even look at the life of Jesus. He took three years with 12 people, and I mean, there's a debate here, but he didn't even get it right with all 12 of them, one of them. Anyways, um, I'm sorry, you're better than I am. <laughs> what I, the, the point that I'm getting at is that we don't need to be, um, it's unfortunate that Hayden just referenced it, but we don't need to be all things to all people. Like, that's not actually what you're called to be. You're called to be a lot of things to some people. Right? Like, without a doubt, the greatest disciples I will ever have in my entire life are my kids. Right? And I've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old. And, and the amount of time and effort and energy and discipline, man, that is so hard. And, like, uh, conversation about love and these big world topics, the amount of time that I have with them is greater than anybody else that I'll ever have time with. There are people like that in all of our lives. So that's the context for this conversation, okay? A lot of them have been, a lot of these topics like um, the limits and the, the last week, which was uncovering the buried treasure beneath grief and loss. These, these conversations, fantastic, fantastic conversations to have, maybe sometimes even like have once a week and like really like get these things like out of us and whatnot. This is something that it's not meant to be like this, hey, let's visit this once a week. It's something that's meant to just be like, Oh, we do this. This is what we do. They'll know that you're my disciples by the way that you love one another. They'll know. Like, like people will just be able to see it. You don't even need to stand on a box and preach about it. You can just be it. Cool. So this is, this is, uh, this is the message. It's kind of split up into two different parts. There's three questions that we're going to talk about. And then there's three dynamics about loving. And the three questions, uh, to preface them, they're about whenever you're meeting with someone... No matter who it is, the people that are in your world, right? The people that are in your immediate vicinity. And that's, that's not just like people that you're sitting down with for an hour or longer. That's like interactions at church. That's like uh, the people serving you coffee. That's the people at the checkout. That's uh, a waiter or a waitress. This is like, like people that you are interacting with on a regular basis. Is that fair? These are the questions. These are the three questions. I think they're all going to come up at once. And we're just going to kind of go through them one by one. And then we're going to go on to the three dynamics. So if I get those three questions. 
So the power of asking yourself these three questions, and these three questions are not uh, limited to the words that are on the screen. If you read it and you're like, oh, I think that um, wording it this way makes more sense. Like, this is a conversation, right? I'm not the smartest person in the room on this, so we can talk about it. Um, question number one, am I present or distracted? Wow, that word distracted, it's, it's one of my favorite words when talking with youth. Uh, it is so difficult to not be distracted. And what's absolutely true about youth is that they are just malleable, moldable creatures, right? Like they see and they learn and they do. So now I'm talking to you. Uh, as the leaders of the youth, as the people in their lives that are probably leading this generation, um, I've said it this way a couple times, right? So there's myself as the youth pastor and then I've got youth leaders and then I've got youth. And if I, for whatever it is, let's talk about phone usage, right? If I'm at like an hour or two hours a day, my youth leaders are probably at like three to five hours a day. And if they're at three to five hours a day, the youth are probably at like seven to 10 hours a day. But that's true about anything that we ever talk about, right? As a parent, whatever I allow, right? Give them an inch, they take a mile. That's absolutely true. Whatever you model, whatever you present, whatever you are in your life, whatever measure of love you've got, the people following you will be somewhere, depending on the context, below or beyond or behind that. They won't match. Does that make sense? You following? Great. Am I present or distracted? Distraction has never been easier. Never been easier. You can talk to anybody, almost, I would say, 90% of people living in the Western world, and you can be like, hey, what's your screen time? And they're like, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to reveal how much time I spent on YouTube or... TikTok, man, I cannot stand TikTok. <laughs> okay, never mind. Um, or Instagram or Facebook or forget all that, right? There's even things that we justify and they're like, oh, but those are good things like a news app. Like how much time we spent like reading about what's going on in the world as opposed to living our lives with the people around us. And I'm not, look, I'm not saying, all right, let's all go get flip phones and throw our smartphones out. It's just the distracted versus present has never, ever, ever been harder. Did you know that there's a smart ring? Did you know that? That there's a ring, this isn't it. This is a regular ring. This is a dumb ring now because they made smart rings. I thought it was cool before, but. Um, there are rings that have all the technology in them that your watch has. It doesn't tell you the time or anything, but it monitors and it alerts and it keeps track of and it, uh, like it's a ring. And then there's watches which do all of that plus and they're distracting and they're, oh, I think I'm not being rude because I'm just scanning the text to see if it's important enough. No, no, it's not. Oh, okay. What would have happened if it was? Also, it was more important because you scanned it. You weren't even talking to me. It's never been easier. It's never been easier to be more distracted. And so this question is the preface to the rest of the conversation. Am I here? Am I willing to meet with you? Am I willing to have a conversation face to face? Am I willing to even like leave my phone on the desk and go out and like talk to someone? There's not a single situation, even if my family was in immediate danger, there's nothing in this world that I can actually fix by knowing it right now. Even if right now there was a problem at home, I can't affect it. I can't, I might be able to like jump in the car and race home and I probably wouldn't be the first one there because somebody would have probably called an ambulance before me. So like right now, immediately, there's nothing more important than what's happening right here, right now. 
Does that make sense? Are you with me? Man, phones are an incredible tool, but they are also difficult. <laughs> They're hard. If you have teenagers, even if you don't have teenagers, you probably get this for yourself, right? We don't have to talk about the people that aren't in the room. We can just talk about ourselves. We all probably struggle with that. Second one, am I loving or judging? This one's a little bit more, uh, uh, it's not as prevalent. It's not as in our face. For sure, we're really, really good at judging. But I think that most of us, at some point along that judging line, get to the point where we're like, ooh, I probably shouldn't think that about them. Because if I think that about them, what do they think about me? And then we get caught in this loop. But, but before we get to the judging part, if we could ask ourselves this question, am I loving or am I judging? Have I come into this meeting, right? Somebody called me, hey, nobody says this. Hey, Pastor Steve, nobody says that. I don't know why I thought that. Um, hey, can we get a coffee together? Uh, I just, you know, I have some things to tell you. Am I driving that going like, oh my gosh, their girlfriend's pregnant. They have to step down from leadership. They're no longer a good person. Who even knows if they're gonna make it into heaven? Like, <laughs> come on. We all think these thoughts, we all judge. Maybe you don't, okay? Maybe I won't put that on you. I definitely know that I struggle with judgment. Judgment is something that for sure, I would like to believe that now at 30 years old, I'm better at catching it than I was when I was 18. But man, when I was 18, for sure I was judgmental. And that hasn't like completely departed from me. There are times where I'm like, oh, I shouldn't think that. Even like, even the way that I started my message, right? Like that's a judgment of myself that I'm like looking out in the crowd and I see Gary DeSantos who probably has a better grip on loving people. And I see Nick Badger who definitely has a better grip on the Bible than I do. And just over there, I see a whole line of people who have done this longer and better than I can, right? Like, like constantly there's judgments and there's like ways of viewing the world and it's not loving to ourselves or the other person. Second question, am I loving or am I judging? We good on that one? Great. Last one, and this is the kicker. Right, the first one is the preface. This one is the thing that changes it, blows it all wide open. Am I open or closed to being changed? Because if you're closed to being changed, what is the point of even having a conversation? If you come into the conversation, man, I didn't think that I was gonna share this, but as it would happen probably every single time, maybe not, but there's just something about like, whenever you're going to, speak or you've got like this big moment coming up there's always like these little like thorns in the week that like get in the way and it would just so happen last night as I was like making sure that I was good for today I got in an argument with Brittany and it was over like this exact topic like was I open to being changed nah probably not was she nah probably not but she's better than I am so she probably was more open than I was but um <laughs> if you have ever met Brittany you know that that statement is entirely true <laughs> uh but, but like it ended in like, it ended in, in the whole like, we were in separate rooms and I had my headphones on and I was just like focused on this message and I was like, and I was like, man, this is so dumb. <laughs> like, I, can't, I can't write another word on make love the measure of spiritual maturity as myself and my wife are in opposite rooms angry at each other. <laughs> this is not good. So we closed the distance and you know, we we're talking about, it's the, the, the weirdest thing when you have kids, if you have kids, you'll agree with this. There's nothing that you just more radically love than your kids. So we're, this is so dumb. I don't know why I'm sharing this. We were talking about car seat safety, okay? And like that escalated into an argument. We had differing opinions on what was safest for our children. But nothing will get you more riled up than the love for your kids. Anyways, um, 
I don't know if that was me like justifying it or, uh, am I open or close to being changed? Because if you're close to being changed, if your opinion is so resolute and so untouchable, that's a position of pride and it's a position of selfishness because you're not willing to consent or to agree or to concede ground to anything that the other person has to say. And it is actually completely counter to love. Jesus didn't walk up to people who were getting it wrong and was like, no, 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 no. I talk first because I'm right and you're wrong. Even though he knew he was, he listened. He stopped, he approached the conversation completely out of love. And even though he wasn't necessarily, hear me out, open to being changed because he was resolute, he was open to the conversation having the course that it had. Do you hear what I'm saying? Like even, even Zacchaeus, right? He, like, he came to him and he listened as... as, as Incredible. First Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, if you have your Bible here, you should check out how incredibly annoying this chapter break is. Do you is anybody there with me? Go to go to chapter 13. The the like five words before it are not their own verse in the chapter before it, but they're the start of a new heading in the middle of a verse, and then it's just like, and eh, new chapter, it's the worst. But we're not gonna read the five words before it because it's a different chapter, and then we'd have to get two chapters up there. First Corinthians chapter 13, at the start of it. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding or clinging symbol. Do kids still learn the recorder? Is that a thing? Yeah, kids still learn the recorder. And like every parent from that point on is like, oh, it's the worst instrument. Imagine your kid coming home with cymbals. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they put me on the cymbals. Yep. And the song's 240 BPM. <laughs> that would be way worse. That would be way worse. At least with a recorder, you could like, I don't know, snap it in. No, uh, <laughs> like a clanging cymbal. Man, a clanging cymbal, even like, listen, when we're in worship, like the wash with the like, shh, that's only good because of everything else going on. If it was just that, you'd be like, what is this? Stop that noise. A clanging cymbal on its own is probably the worst noise, just like, shh, shh, shh. And if that's how you sound to people, whoo, man. I hope, I hope I never sound like a clanging cymbal or a resounding gong just over and over. And I also hope that no teacher here is like, oh, that's a good idea. We should do cymbals instead of recorders. <laughs> it's a bad idea. That's not what I'm saying. It goes on and says, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I know everything, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, imagine one day there's a demonstration down at Mount Monganui, and I'm like, watch this, Monganui, jump in the ocean. And it's like, yeah, and does a cannonball. Everybody would first off be like, that's not okay. You need to put that back. Uh, but second off, they'd be like, but that is impressive. Well done, that's pretty cool. Uh, and the wave would probably ruin some things. So people would probably, like, the sum average would probably be anger, but I'd put it back. If I had a faith that could move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give everything I possess to the poor, if I am the best possible Christian that has ever existed, right? I am number two in line, right behind Jesus. I am like the best son there ever was. And I give over my body to hardship that I might boast, but I do not have love. I have gained nothing. 
what that's saying is that anything, even, hear me out, let's go as far as to say, even the Bible without love falls over because God is love and love is this massive conversation. If I have not love, I'm nothing. So why are we talking about let's make love this massive thing, the measure of maturity? Well, let's, let's transition from the way that we approach uh, conversations to how we actually walk them out, right? So this is now three dynamics of mature love, spiritual love, to actually have a conversation where you're not a resounding, clanging symbol. You with me? Great. So we've got the three questions. Ask yourself those questions. Now we've got three dynamics. Oh, there's a quote in the book that I wanted to read that I didn't pull out of the book. I don't know why. Don't ask me. I guess I wanted to flip through the pages. It's not there. Oh, this is bad because I thought I'd be able to find it real quick. Quick enough. Uh, so dynamic one is enter another's world. Enter somebody else's world. We've got all sorts of colloquialisms, walk a mile in their shoes, uh, see it from their perspective, all sorts of, of ways of having this conversation. Uh, enter another person's world. That's basically saying, listen. Basically, that's what it's saying, listen. And this is the quote from theologian David Augsburger. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're indistinguishable. Being heard is so close to being loved that for the average person, they're indistinguishable. The average person alive today with all the social media at their fingertips, with the world, with everything, all the communication right there, being heard is as close to being loved that they're basically indistinguishable. Man, the art of listening, the art of listening has changed so much. This is true for me too, right, with phones. You can talk to anybody in my family. If there is something that I don't know, I will very quickly Google it. I will like immediately run to the World Wide Web to get all the answers about any conversation, any topic I possibly could. Thank you, Curtis. He knows. I appreciate that, but it's about to be a negative thing, so stop nodding. Um, <laughs> In a conversation, right, if somebody's telling me their opinion, almost immediately, right, like mid-sentence, I'll be like, that's wrong. New Zealand does not hold 90% of the world's fresh water. Actually, Lake Baikal in Russia has 17%, so that's it's impossible, really. Uh, that's a true fact, Lake Baikal. Deepest lake, also the most volume in Russia. I think it's 1.6 Ks deep. 1.6 Ks deep, I digress. The world's incredible. Um, enter somebody else's world. When it comes to listening to them, uh, something that I definitely need to do, and I would say that the average Christian definitely needs to do, is stop coming with an agenda. Stop coming with like, uh, actually, it's just my job to get you into heaven. So I'm only listening for the cracks in your argument because I've prepared a certain amount of verses because I knew you were going to say that. Mark 13 says, ah, yeah. Next point, please. I'm ready. Oh, well, have you read Job? Yeah, Job went through suffering too. So, uh... What's your excuse now? Um, 
Listen, it's true, right? Did you know that if you talk to somebody in the service industry in the United States uh, and you ask them, hey, what shift do you not want to work? What shift would you prefer just to not work? And they would say Sunday afternoons. Oh, why is that? All the Christians come in and they're terrible tippers and they treat us like rubbish. Oh, <laughs> that's not a good look. That's actually like the complete opposite of everything that the Bible talks about. Like we should stand apart. They should know us by our love for one another. We should be able to walk into a restaurant and they should be like, oh, the Christians are here. Good tip coming. Hey, no, no, I saw them first. This is my table. I'm working. Hey, how's it going? How you guys doing? Uh, isn't that terrible? Doesn't that like, and, and you guys are like, well, we're not America. <laughs> That's true. Hey, you're right. This isn't America. We don't even tip here. Uh, you're like, yeah, your story doesn't, no, my story definitely adds up. We're Christians. We're a part of the same family. We represent the same Jesus. The, the conversation about Christians isn't one that like just happened to start 30 years ago in the States. Like this is an ongoing thing. You can look through all of history and find that Christians not always find themselves at the center of peace, but generally the center of conflict. It's not a, it's not a great look. And I think that it comes from this topic right here, when it comes to entering somebody else's world, we would rather them just come into the realm of Jesus and as opposed to like stepping into whatever's going on in their world and accepting it or tolerating it or gratifying it or giving it space to like be whatever it is, we'd rather shut it down and say, well, that's not what the Bible says. So come into my world. Dynamic two is hold on to yourself. Hold on to yourself. This one is closely tied to the next one, and it leads into the next one. Uh, so actually, we'll just chuck the next one up there too because I'm running out of time. And these two, they go hand in hand. Hold on to yourself and live in the tension. Hold on to yourself and live in the tension. So here are the two things back to back. So if you're taking notes, write quickly. Um, hold on to yourself means that your opinions don't have to be my opinions. I don't have to abandon who I am. I don't have to abandon God's plan for my life because you see the world differently. That's totally okay. That's what holding on to myself is. And living in the tension between two worlds means that we can share the same space while disagreeing on fundamental issues. We can have a conversation about liberal, conservative, vaccine, no vaccine. We can live in this tension, which we're like often taught to ignore. We're often taught to like, oh, tension, bad. Tension actually, did you know that nothing can happen without tension? Did you know that? Did you know that every single thing is brought into being by tension? If you don't believe me, no. <laughs> Just believe me, okay? <laughs> Nothing exists without tension. Nothing exists without tension. And if we're not comfortable to live in the tension of a conversation with somebody that we love, man, that is, it's not a very good example of love. There's a really good example of this in, in this book that we've been reading, and it's about this lady, a sister, um, Sister Helen, who goes into a prison, and she's assigned like this one-on-one -on -one conversation with this uh, murderer and um, the whole world is like, what are you doing? You're wasting your time. He's on death row. He's like, you're losing yourself. Cause she starts like, 
she doesn't fall in love with him by any stretch of the imagination, but she sees him and she loves him and she wants him, even though he's going to death row, her like entire point, the entire story is she just wants him to reconcile whatever he did. And it starts off, he's really rough, super unlovable. He's like, he's like, no, I didn't do it. And he like tries to flirt with her and he's really racist. And it's like really like tough to love this guy. But she just continues to live in this tension. And she's like, even though you're not where I am, she jumps into his world. She holds on to herself, right? Like she maintains Christ the entire time. She never once slips up or yells at him or calls him anything or probably even judges him. And then at the end, after living in the tension, when all of the people back at the nunnery? Convent. Convent. I was going to say compound. It's not a compound. Well, depends on who you are. Um, All the people back at the convent are like, you've lost yourself. you've, You've gone too far. You've loved him too much, too well. It gets to the point where three minutes before midnight when he's to be executed, he confesses. Finally, finally he relents this like wall that he's been hiding behind and he confesses and he cries and he apologizes and he reconciles with God. And it's this incredible, beautiful moment. And as he's going to die, Sister Helen says to him, hey, pray for me. And he says, I will pray for me too. And it's this beautiful story of reconciliation where she like loved the person right in front of her, held on to herself and lived in the tension because that would have been so hard. And we find it so hard to disagree politically today. Like political opinion is dividing church and we're like, okay, well you go have your brother and you go have your AOG and you go have your Foursquare and you go have your Calvin and you go have your, and we just divide it, right? As opposed to living in the tension, which is tough but it's exactly what Jesus did. John 13, 34, verse 35. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. We're not at all called to carry a message. We're 100% called to be a message. We're 100% called to live this thing out in every conversation with everybody that we meet, understanding that there are people that are not to fall in our basket, but loving ridiculously the people that are right in front of us. Jesus did it with 12. Start with one. Find the person in front of you. Ask yourself these questions every time you meet with them. Am I present? Am I listening? Am I loving? called to be the message.